Hey everyone, and thanks for tuning in to this week's message. My name's Aaron, and I'm on the staff team here at Eastlake. Everything we do around here depends on the generous donations of our local and online community. People just like you, who tune into these messages and see great benefit from living that idea that life is a gift and love is the point. So if you love what Eastlake is up to, we'd encourage you to contribute by going to eastlakecc.com. With that, let's jump into this week's message. Today, we hear from Bethel Lee as she continues our series, Do You Believe in God? Please check the description for links to our quarterly Spotify playlist and guided meditation. Hello, hi, howdy. Um, first of all, there is a crazy windstorm brewing outside right now. So if you hear howling sounds, if you hear clattering sounds, be not afraid. That is just literally this house shaking, being shaken up by this uh, very strong wind storm that's happening. So um, hello, my name is Bethel. And if this is the, oh, I should also introduce my dog, Chance. He's right there, just in case he makes some noises. Um, if this is the first time that you're hearing me speak, let me give you some background on why Eastlake has invited me to be one of the folks sharing their response to this series entitled with the question, do you believe in God? I was born into the evangelical Christian tradition, as you might have guessed, since my name is Bethel, which is very much from the Bible, very much a Hebrew word that means house of God. My father and three of his brothers are all ordained Christian ministers in Korea. We immigrated to the States when I was a toddler and the rhythms and needs of church life completely shaped and colored my family's daily life. Every day, either we were at church or the church was with us somehow. Uh, we literally housed a church in our garage for a season of life. Growing up, I very much adhered to the evangelical agenda, all of its beliefs and mandates I accepted. I had questions, but I generally received and accepted as truth the answers that I was given by the leaders and authorities of that world. Being a Christian was my number one identity for 38 years of my now 40 years on this planet. The deconstruction of my Christian belief system started when I was 23, 24, when I was in seminary, but it really wasn't until the past few years that I have consciously dethroned the hierarchy of that Christian identity in my life. I had 
gone to Duke Divinity School for three years, earned my Master's of Divinity, not because I wanted to become a minister, but because I was obsessed with Jesus and God and the Bible. And there was nothing else I wanted to learn about more. Aha, but learn I did. And the more I learned about Christian history, biblical languages, issues of interpretation, how belief tenets were constructed and then voted up or voted down, the relationship between Christianity and colonialism, the Americanization of Jesus, the politics of church history, the more I learned, the more I realized that the fairy tale of Christianity that I had grown up with, I could not hold on to as the be-all truth anymore. And I really did try to hold on as long as I could to each big core belief tenant until I couldn't. I distinctly remember, for instance, the first time that I was in a Sunday worship service and the part came up when we were all supposed to stand up and recite the Apostles' Creed together and I just, I opened my mouth and I couldn't speak. I just couldn't do it anymore. But I still loved the story and legacy of Jesus. I still loved the poems, parables, and meaningful myths of the Bible. So I have oscillated in my identity as a Christian and I have oscillated in my belief in God for something like 16 years now. About nine years ago, I was in a place where I had definitely moved away from most, if not all, of the orthodox beliefs of Christianity. But because I really believed and hoped that there must be a way that I could redeem this in my life somehow, which is a very generous way of saying, I hate sunk costs. And thus, I was intent on figuring out a way to avoid them. Humans, in general, hate sunk costs. And our refusal to accept sunk costs is what traps many of us in bad investments, toxic relationships, and ill-fitting careers for sometimes our whole damn lives. I had invested my whole life into the business of upholding and promoting the Christian God. First the evangelical version and then the progressive liberal version. So, nine years ago, even though the still small voice within me said, run Bethel, run, this isn't for you. I couldn't do it. It was just too painful. It's just too painful to throw it all away. So instead, I doubled down. I resolved to make it work, to make it fit. And nine years ago, I was ordained 
as a minister with the United Church of Canada. And ordained means that you and the church officially agree that you have been called by God to do this professional work of Christian ministry. So with this ordination, I worked as a church minister, as a children's minister, and as a university chaplain. And I found that working for the church did not bring me closer to God. Instead, year by year, I felt more and more suffocated by this identity of a Christian minister and by this vocation that is under the authority of an institution that has a set of beliefs that I am supposed to be in essential agreement with. And <laughs> this was all kinds of inconvenient for me. This not working out. All kinds of inconvenient for my psyche because I had been indoctrinated for my entire life. It was pounded into my psyche by family, by ministers, by mentors and professors that I cannot trust my own experience over what the tradition of the church has decided is good and right. It was pounded into me that trusting your own experience over the church is stupid and immature and just wrong. And I got this from both the conservative and liberal branches of Christianity. And why I explain all of this is because Due to the kind of life experiences I have had in my family, in my education, and in my work, it is really hard for me to separate God and the church because the church convinced me that they are essentially the same thing, that they always walk hand in hand. And so honestly, I think it's going to take me many more years to unravel the two. All to say, if and when that unraveling ever does happen, at that point in the future, my thoughts and feelings about God might be different than what they are today. Today, I feel like I'm back to square one in a sense, back at that fork in the road. I was in nine years ago, being asked by myself, by the universe, by my life situation, are you willing to throw it all away? Are you willing to accept the sunk costs? Are you willing to feel the pain of loss and change? Are you willing to disappoint the expectations of others? Are you ready to trust yourself? Are you ready to begin a new life? Knowing that this new life doesn't have any promises attached to it. Knowing that it's a new life that I'd be living not because there's any guarantee of adventure or rewards, 
but only because it feels like truth. Only because it'd be a life more true to who I am. Some of you know that after my last ministry job ended, I decided to take a self-imposed year-long sabbatical from all Christian work with the hope being that at the end of a year, which will be this July, so in about four months, ooh, wow, big wind gust, um, so July, so in about four months, uh, with the hope being that at that point I'll be in a place where I can make as final of a decision as I can about whether I should get unordained. And so this question, do you believe in God, has been very relevant to me and it's and is very relevant to me right now uh, because if I don't believe in God, I probably shouldn't be an ordained Christian minister anymore, right? And in my situation, a vague yes isn't good enough because I have to take into account my institution's definition of God. So do I believe in their God is another level of this question that I am personally grappling with. And even if you're not in my situation, I do think the first follow-up question to the question, do you believe in God, should be, well, what do you mean by God? This question should beget more questions. So let's ask some of those sub-questions. So if the question is, do you believe in capital S something? Do you believe there is something beyond our current reality? This is probably the vaguest way of conceptualizing God, just something. Is there something else? My answer to that question is, yeah, I do, 100%. I believe there's something beyond our current reality. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's divinity or string theory or aliens, but I believe there's something. I do. If the question is about a monotheistic deity. So if the question is, do you believe in a creator God who cares about being praised and worshipped by its creation? No. I don't. I believe that worshipping practices can be very beneficial psychologically, emotionally, and even physically for the people doing them. But do I believe there's a God that's clocking this praise and accounting it somehow in need of it? No, I don't. If the question is about Christian sovereignty, so if the question is, do you believe that any one religion understands God better than all other groups of people in this world? Mm, no, not necessarily. 
if the question is about eschatology or eternity. So if the question is, do you believe that there's somewhere that some part of us goes after we die? I hope so. I think so, but I don't know. I don't know. This this could go on and on, right? The sub questions could go on forever. And if you ask a question like, do you believe in God? To people who have really wrestled with what they believe, who have done the incredibly hard work of deconstructing everything they had ever accepted as truth, people who have genuinely explored many other avenues, including the depths of nihilism. I think a commonality you're likely to find is the need for more questions and more answers and more questions and more answers. In other words, a conversation. One and done doesn't work here. Sure, after deconstruction, some folks do end up in a place of concrete uh, atheism or in another faith tradition or world perspective. But for most, I think you'll find that their answers are messy and multidimensional and dynamic, not stagnant. And that there's a lot of sincere, hard-earned, I don't know. And for me, I don't know does not mean I don't care. Hey everyone, it's Kristen. Just wanted to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in. I hope that you're finding these messages helpful for you in your everyday life. Um, That's what we're trying to do here is gather around the idea that life is a gift and love is the point and let's give ourselves ways to move forward in that in our own everyday world. Um, So I wanted to take a moment to say thank you for being a part of this community. To those of you who have participated and given financially, we wanna say thank you to you. Everything that we do here happens because people make contributions. People say, I value this place. I want it to exist for me and for other people. And so I'm going to support it. And so we just want to say how grateful we are um, that you do that. And for those of you who maybe haven't had a chance to contribute yet, um, we would ask you to consider maybe doing so. If you find this place beneficial, if you find these messages helpful for you, then um, consider joining us in that way. You can go to eastlakecc.com to make a contribution. We just always are thankful for the people who want this place to exist. So thanks again for tuning in. Let's get back to the message. All that said, I won't leave you with a completely abstract response. I will say this. I have found that most religious folks don't like the bifurcation of religious versus spiritual. And sure, of course there's overlap. You can find the spiritual and the religious, you can find uh, religiosity in the spiritual. In my experience, however, I have found that there is a difference between the two. I don't know if it's just how people are wired, um, but I have found that there are these two different impulses, the religious impulse and the spiritual impulse. And the essential difference between these two impulses is 
captured by something. I heard Naval Ravikant say he's an entrepreneur investor who has kind of become a modern philosopher of sorts. And he said, individuals seek truth, groups seek consensus. I think that those who love their religion, who fit into a religion, are those who find comfort in consensus. And I get it. That comfort, that stability, that community that comes from consensus is incredibly valuable. It's the bedrock of many people's lives, understandably so, and I truly appreciate the value of that. And it's apt to call this group believers because they are people who believe in the consensus. The other group are the seekers. And I think seekers can't help but notice how the nature of consensus requires a capping of sorts. You know, common denominators bring things down. A lot can't fit under there. And thus a lot gets cut off. And seekers yearn for that which gets left out. The seekers are willing to forfeit the comfort of consensus for the quest of truth, no matter how painful or elusive that truth might be. I was genuinely a believer for more than half of my life. And I think I've just come to the realization and the acceptance that in my heart of hearts, I'm a seeker. I'm a seeker who doesn't necessarily expect to find the answers that I'm looking for. And yet I still think it's worth seeking. I am not interested in believing. I am very, very interested in seeking and knowing. Not in a pompous way, but knowing through lived experience. And knowing how much I don't know and being okay with that. And speaking of experience, recently I experienced something that was really unknowable to me before. For someone who has read so much and learned so much and talked so much about the transcendent, I actually never experienced it until very recently. It just so happened that not long ago, I went on my very first plant medicine, aka psychedelic journey, in a wonderful and safe setting with professional and compassionate guides. And going into this experience, I wondered if I might encounter God on this trip in some way, because I have heard of many people, lifelong atheists even, who because of their plant medicine journeys have a change of heart in terms of their belief in a God. And so to close, I'll tell you a little bit about my experience and whether it affected my belief in God or not. First of all, <laughs> t- 
trying to put into words what I experienced immediately reduces it because what I saw, what I encountered, what I came to know, uh, it's too big for words. I know I cannot convey it and that's frustrating, but it's true. This trip that took me to outer space and inner space all at once is by far the most intense experience I have ever had. If you took all of the peak experiences in my whole life so far, including my wedding day, giving birth to my son in my living room, jumping out of a plane, skydiving, traveling all over the world, if you combined all of that and multiplied it by 10,000, then you're now kind of getting in the ballpark. And that is not hyperbole. My plant medicine was psilocybin from a strain of mushrooms called the Golden Teachers. These mushrooms are known for taking people on a kinder, more gentle journey compared to other mushroom strains and other psychedelics. Mine was not a gentle journey. My guides commented afterwards that it was the most intense trip they'd seen someone take on these particular shroom mushrooms. And afterwards, I was doing some research, just reading up on other people's experiences of psychedelics. And the stories that were most similar to the first part of my trip were people who took DMT, the toad, which is supposed to give you the most extreme ride. And the second part of my trip had lots of similarities to people's experiences on therapeutic MDMA. I won't go into all the details, but one of the most notable things that happened was I died. Afterwards, Dave asked me if it was like a near-death experience, and I was like, nope, it wasn't near. It was complete. I died. I experienced death fully, and it was terrifying. It was psychologically and emotionally so painful, and I cannot fully articulate why but it was at one point the pain of the world surged through my body and my mind i cried so much i cried like i've never cried before and i've cried a lot in my life i personally could never encourage anyone else to do what I did to go on this kind of trip, even though I'm so, so grateful for it, because it was harrowing and it was hard. Re much, much, much harder than I thought it would be. And the irony isn't lost on me. In my work as a Christian minister, I talk about death all the time. Every Sunday, we invited the congregation to die and to be risen to new life. But actually, experiencing death and this is the part that's one of the many parts that's ineffable 
You might be thinking, but Bethel, you didn't experience it. It was just something that happened in your mind. I'm telling you, I experienced it. I experienced being blasted off into space at the speed of light, zooming through wormholes that were both beautiful and terrifying, all the while feeling myself being pulled further and further away from everything I knew and loved, including my own body. It was kind of like Indiana Jones, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, the scene toward the end when the bad guys open up the Ark of the Covenant and all those like scary spirits go whizzing around, melting everybody to death. In terms of the intensity and terror, it was kind of like experiencing that for an hour. I lost my life. I lost the whole world. And then I entered a new dimension. Don't know how else to say it. I entered a new dimension. I entered this eternal landscape where I experienced nirvana. Complete liberation from all attachment and suffering. And it did not feel like a dream or an imagination. It was more real, more vivid, more clear, more true than anything I have ever known. And on my trip, eventually, this choice came before me about whether to stay in this eternal nirvana free from all problems and all suffering, all worries, or to come back, to come back to earth, to come back into my life. And the guides heard me ask aloud over and over again, why would I come back? Why would I come back? And then I started to remember, remember, as I was still in that hyperspace, I started to remember the people I love. I started to remember music and humor and touch. One by one, I started to remember all the things worth living for. And every time that I would remember something, I would kind of like pulse back into this dimension. So then I was like in between, I was pulsing back and forth. But when I had gained enough of a foothold back into this dimension, this world, so that I could feel again what it's like to be in this body, in, in this life, on this planet, I kind of started to panic because I could see clearer than I have ever seen how precious it is to be alive. How ephemeral, how fleeting and fragile. I was ultimately reborn and not metaphorically, I was in this fleshy womb 
and I was born again. And as I came back into my body, oh, so intense. I thought giving birth was hard. Being born is ha ha hard. I was gasping for air, learning to breathe again, learning to use my lungs again, learning to use my body, learning to walk again. And I could not believe I was back. I could not believe I was getting another chance at this life. I was in shock. I kept saying to my guides, I'm here, I'm here, I'm back, I'm breathing. Like I could not believe I was breathing again. And I experienced, oh, I experienced ecstasy. Again, I don't have a word for it. It's bigger than ecstasy, but it was, I guess that's ecstasy is as good as I can do. Just awe and wonder and delight, again, in a way I didn't think was possible. I felt this, oh, solar love that was so powerful, so pure, that it blasted through me and all around me in this almost blinding light. And getting to see the world with this light shining on it, it was like, in the same way that an x-ray allows you to see like inside of somebody, this light enabled me to see everyone and everything as they truly are, which was all their goodness and all their beauty, just untainted by all the things that normally cloud our vision. And I was just saturated in gratitude. The beauty of this world brought me to my knees. I cannot believe that a little mushroom took me on this trip. Even as I was experiencing it, I was already starting to grieve because I knew that I wouldn't be able to take it all back with me. I knew I wouldn't because everything that I was seeing and experiencing was unbelievable. I verbally said aloud, Bethel's not going to believe me. She's not going to believe me. She's going to forget. And the voice that said that, my awareness, my consciousness, was right. I cannot believe it. But I know it because I experienced it. Did I encounter God? I don't think so. At least not the God that most people mean when they say God. At one point when I was in Nirvana, um, there was a presence that I was communicating with somehow without words, and it was a knowing presence. But it didn't feel like God to me, but again, just... Not the God that most people mean, I think, when they say God. What I did encounter, absolutely. What I did experience, as I described, was pure love, pure joy, pure gratitude. Interestingly, my 
mystical experience, the most mystical experience I have ever had, did not emphasize the existence of God. Instead, it emphasized the miraculous existence of life and amplified within me a love for life, for this world. It's kind of funny because it's the opposite of what my religious upbringing taught me. You know, I was taught to love and obsess over God and to give very little, if any, regard to this world. But what I experienced was the grace and glory of this world. I don't know why we get to be here. I don't know if there's a bigger entity or purpose behind it all, but here's what I know. You ask me what I believe, I'll tell you what I know. We exist. And holy mother of God, it is effing incredible to exist. Life is a wild ride and it doesn't last long, at least in this form anyway. So for the little while that you get to live this one wild and precious life, whatever expands your gratitude, whatever ignites delight and awe, whatever makes your love bigger, seek that. And when you find it, double down on it. Thank you for joining us. To make a donation, head to eastlakecc.com slash donate.